Well, good morning, Restoration Church, and welcome to our online service. I'll tell you what, I've been looking forward to Sunday all week long. I know this is a unique season when we can't gather physically, but I am so thankful that we can still gather together and worship online and be able to study scripture together and still be able to interact with one another. So I want to encourage you as we continue to do these online services, please engage with one another in the comments. Uh, reach out to one another, say hi to one another, ask how each other are doing, engage with uh, the message, engage with the songs, and let's just try and continue to be the body of Christ together, even in this season where we are online. Listen, have you ever, have you ever questioned whether you were doing the right thing because of some opposition that you faced? For example, like when I go running, I start running and my body is like yelling at me, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. It's opposing what I'm trying to do. It's telling me, listen, you should go sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat a big bag of popcorn, right? You ever face that? That opposition makes us question whether we should follow through with what we are doing. Listen, this is true in so many areas of life and in our world. In fact, there's a guy in this, there's a guy by the name of uh, Jonas Hathaway, who was in the 1700s, he was a wealthy philanthropist. And he was the guy who created the first rain umbrella. And he puts this umbrella, it's raining, he walks outside with the umbrella. And because he was looking so different than the rest of the world, because he was doing something different, the world hadn't seen it before, people were throwing rocks at him. People were, were throwing stones at him because he was different. Socrates, who's the great Greek philosopher, uh, he was known in Athens uh, as the gadfly because he was known for calling people out to examine themselves, to think deeply. And because of that, that is what he was hated and killed for because he was like a gadfly, because he was an annoying gnat, a mosquito that would poke and prod at people. And why is this? Well, it's because the world, they always expects nonconformity. That when you don't conform to the patterns of this world, when you don't fit to the mold that, that they expect within us, when you don't fit into the pattern, when you break that mold, there's bound to be animosity and opposition and hatred from the world because we are not doing things just like the rest of the people around us. Have you experienced that in your own life? Have you stood up to do the right thing only to find opposition because you're doing the right thing? I had that experience when I was in fourth grade. Uh, my favorite teacher was Mr. Scambolari, uh, and he was just super impact, impactful for me in fourth grade. And I remember there was a, a girl in our class named Frida, and she was the, the smelly kid. She was kind of, you know, whatever. And I'll tell you what, elementary age kids, they can be mean. Well, actually, so can middle school kids, and so can high school kids, and so can college kids, and actually adults can be mean as well. Let's just acknowledge that. I remember these kids were being mean and Mr. Scambolari pulled me aside and said, listen, you don't know her story. She deserves some love. She could use some love. I remember at that point, I started looking out for Frida. When kids would pile on her and tease her, I would stand up for her. And I remember I came to a head one day where I had stood up for Frida. And then when we were on recess playing tetherball, all of the other kids, they ganged up on me. They ganged up on me and would let me play because I was the one who was gonna stand out, who was gonna do the right thing, who was going to do something different than the way that everybody else around me was doing. Listen, this summer we're in a series that we're calling uh, Last Words, where we're looking at Jesus as he spends the last couple hours with the disciples, uh, recorded in John 13 through 17. 
Again, Jesus is preparing to uh, be arrested, to face death and the resurrection and ascension up into heaven. And he knows the disciples are going to be facing a difficult time. So Jesus has offered them words of comfort. Remember what Jesus has said to them. He said to them, listen, I go and I'm, I'm preparing a place for you. That's good. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to you and I'll, and I'll bring you to where I'm going. That, that's good. Jesus said, listen, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to make his home with you. That's good. He said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to bear much fruit if you abide in me. And, and that's good for the disciples to hear. And Jesus said, listen, I, I no longer consider you slaves, but now you can be considered friends of God. That's really good. These are all really good things that Jesus is saying. And you almost expect Jesus to say something like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And listen, while it's true, there are all these positive aspects of the gospel of when we place our faith in Jesus. But those are only a partial truth. The reality is, there are also some difficult parts of us placing our faith in Jesus. Reality is, we may not like what God determines to be a wonderful plan for our lives. Because if we truly believe in Him, if we abide in Christ, if we produce the fruit that He asks for in our life, that will put us at odds in the world. That'll make us stand out from the world around us. And the result of that will be we will face animosity and opposition and possibly even hatred because we are living in a way different than the world lives. And Jesus offers a warning to His disciples and offers a warning to us saying, listen, the, the acceptance and living according to the custom of the world is always going to be a temptation. But Jesus wants us to know it is better for us to be loved by God than liked by the world. So in our text today, Jesus comes out of the gate swinging in verse 18, John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Again, this is not like this if Jesus is pretty much saying this is going to happen. This is going to be happen. This is going to happen. They're going to hate you, but first they hated me. And let me clarify this. We're going to talk a lot about the world. And so let's clarify what Jesus means when he refers to the world. When he says the world, it refers to the, the, the world system, the nature of the world, the way the world operates. Here's, here's the nature of the world. See, in the very beginning, there was, there was a beautiful angel of light who chose to rebel against God and rebel against the kingdom of God. And he fooled a third of the angels to rebel against God with him and to try and overthrow God. And as a result, that angel of light and those angels were, were, were kicked out of heaven and sent down to have dominion over the world. And that is our enemy. That is Satan and, and the demons. And the world is now ruled by that evil dominion, by, by Satan and the demons. This is the same enemy that fooled Adam and Eve to allow sin into the world. And because of that, the nature of this world, which includes every country, every country, every culture on the face of the earth, we've been affected by sin and evil. We are bent on rejecting God. We are bent on loving ourselves and not loving God and putting ourselves above Him. And so this is the world's mentality. It has been since the beginning of time through beyond when you and I are here. The world's mentality is contrary to God. To reject Jesus, to reject God, to hate them because it's different than the way that they want to live. So why does the world if that's who the world is, why does the world hate Jesus? 
he gives us a couple of answers. In verse 22, he says, If I'd come and I had not spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now, because I've done that, they are without excuse. They reject Jesus because of his words. See, he's not saying that the world would have been innocent if Jesus had not spoken to them. Again, we know the world is sinful and rebellious ever since sin entered the world uh, through the human heart, through Adam and Eve. But with Christ's coming, his words, they highlight our sinful hearts. That as he speaks the word of God, it, it reflects and shows that our hearts are tainted by sin. In fact, just think about this. Just think about the Sermon on the Mount alone. You read the Sermon on the Mount. Can any of us claim to actually be good after reading that? When Jesus began his public ministry in Matthew chapter 4, his message was this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, his words, they revealed sin. They reveal selfishness. They reveal that our lives are contrary to God, that our hearts are wicked. At worst, our hearts are wicked. At best, we're just selfish. And so his words, they reveal our sin and our need for Christ. And because of that, the world has rejected him because they don't want to be told that they need to live in a different way than the way they want to live. So the world rejects Jesus because of his words. They also reject Jesus because of his works. Verse 24, Jesus says, If I had not done the works among them, works that no one else had did, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin, but now they have seen, and they have hated me, and they've hated my Father. Again, you think about the life of Jesus. You think about all of his miracles. You think about him healing the sick and feeding the 5,000. You think about him calming the storm and raising the dead to life. You think about all those things he did. And then you think about the compassion and the love that they had for the world around him, for people who were undeserving, for his enemies even. You think about even going into his resurrection. All of these things are his works. And the world rejected Jesus because of his works. At times, they even attributed Jesus' works to being fueled by Satan. You see, his works show us that good enough wasn't good enough compared to Jesus. And so his works, through his works, the world is confronted, confronted with reality that we're selfish, reality that we're not good enough. And so the world has rejected Jesus because his works confront their reality, confront their sin and their comfortability in living according to the way that they want to live. Here's the reality of, of why they hate Jesus, why the world hates Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 19, says, The light has come into the world. Jesus is the light. The light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness rather than light. They loved to remain in their sin, to remain ignorant of God and the things of God so they can choose to live according to their sin, according to their selfishness, that they could choose to love themselves over God. And then listen, regardless of how religious people claim to be, regardless of how people claim to love God, listen, their actions show that the world doesn't actually love God, but they actually hate Him. That there's this hatred from the world towards God and towards Jesus because they don't want to change the way that they live. And Jesus is writing this, and he's, he's telling us, listen, I don't want you as disciples, as followers of Christ, and I want you to be despised, to be surprised, because as they have hated me, they will also hate you as well. And this is what Jesus says. He said they're going to hate you as well. 
And the, the question again, if we said, well, why does the world hate Jesus? The question I want to ask is, why does the world hate Christians as well? He answers that for us in verse 19. There's a couple of answers, but he says in verse 19, if you are of the world, the world will love you as your own. But because as Christians, because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of this world, therefore the Lord hates you, or therefore the world hates you. They hate us because we are not of this world. See, people, they like and they love people that are like themselves. The world likes people to conform to their standard of living. And if you conform to what they expect, then you'll be loved by the world. And the world would dislike those that are not like them. And so Jesus just said, listen, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you are abiding in me, I have chosen you out of this world, which means you no longer are supposed to live like everybody else. You no longer belong to this world. You're no longer a citizen of, the, of this world. In fact, Philippians chapter 3 says our citizenship is not in this world. It's not in our country. Our citizenship is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2 says we are aliens. We are sojourners on the earth. We don't belong to the world. We don't belong to the customs of, those, of the world. No longer do we belong uh, to, to, to this world. We belong now to the kingdom of God. And we allow the kingdom of God to dictate how we live, that we have a different standard. We have a different mentality. We have a different motivation. And the kingdom of God, this new way of living, this new identity we have in the kingdom of God, it flies in the face of the standard of the world. It is different. And the result of that, because we choose to live according to the kingdom of God, the result of that is opposition or maybe even hatred, because we aren't conforming to the expectation of the world around us. second reason why the world will hate Christians is because we identify with Jesus. I mean, look what he says in verse 20. Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, of course they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Verse 21, and here's key. He says, all of these things they will do on account of my name. Notice he says, it's on account of my name. Because you identify with me, that is why they will hate you. It's not just because you're a loudmouth, judgmental jerk. Listen, there's enough of us Christians that the world hates us because we're jerks. We're not to be hated because we're a jerk. You're not called to be a jerk. You're called to identify with Christ. And because we identify with him, that means we begin to follow his footsteps. We choose to, to live like him and love like him. And because of that, because we love like him, that is why, because we identify with him, that is why the world begins to reject us and to even hate us. Not just because we're a jerk. Don't be a Christian jerk. Choose to identify with Christ. Ultimately, what Jesus is going to say is that the world hates him and the world hates us because the world does not truly know God. Verse 23 says, whoever hates me hates my father also. See, I was thinking about this. Like, I don't think there's many people in the world that would just outright say, I hate God. I don't think many people would just outright say that. Rowdy, there's a lot of people that claim to be religious. A lot of people claim to, to, to follow God, to love God, but they're not talking about the one true God. What happens is the world, the world makes a God of their own imagination, a God that they can get to manipulate and to conform to their pattern of living. 
where they don't have to change to, to obey God. They can allow God to change, to adapt to the way that they want to live. They're not truly, they don't truly know the one true God. Isn't this what the Pharisees did? Isn't this what the Pharisees did? Where they, they, they said, listen, we claim to love God. We claim to keep his commandments. But their heart wasn't with God. They didn't genuinely love him and follow him. They tried to manipulate him to fit their standard. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, the world doesn't truly know God because if they did, they would surrender to my kingdom and my way of living and what I've asked for them. And Jesus, he's not surprised by this hatred. He's not surprised that the world rejects him and rejects God and rejects us. Verse 25, Jesus quotes out of the Psalms. And he says, they've done this to fulfill the word that was written in the law, that they hated me without excuse. Jesus is saying that there's no excuse for their hatred. Jesus is saying the world, they're going to reject me because they loved darkness rather than light. Because Jesus was exposing sin and their need for forgiveness. And because of that, because he was saying, listen, there's something about you that needs to be redeemed, that needs to be changed. And because of that, the world has rejected him. The world has hated him. And I, and I read this and I'm like, well, why is Jesus telling his disciples this now? Why is he saying, hey, heads up, you're going to be hated like they hated me? And it's a warning. It's a warning for the disciples, a warning of truth. Here's what Jesus says in John 16, verse 1. He said, I've said these things to keep you from falling. Verse 2, hey, they're going to put you out of their synagogues. They might even kill you and think they're offering a service to God. They're doing these things because they do not know the Father and they do not know me. And here's what he says, verse 4. He said, I'm saying these things so that when the hour comes, you will remember he says, I don't, I don't want you to be surprised when you get rejected and face opposition for abiding and following me. This is what is bound to happen. And here's, here's the truth that Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, and he's trying to tell us that are listening today, is that when we are truly abiding in Christ, when we're living for the kingdom of God, we allow our identity to be rooted in him and what he has for our lives, and we are obeying that. The result will be opposition from the world. Now, when that, He's trying to say, listen, we cannot abide in the things of God and abide in the world simultaneously. These two things do not coexist. They're in opposition to one another. You can't have your one foot in the world and one foot with God and expect that to work because these things are in complete opposition with one another. And this is where we get to the application. What does this mean for you and I? Kind of a weird application. You kind of begin to wonder, well, well, pastor, are you telling me that I should be hated? Is that the application for me to be hated? Well, not quite, but yes, kind of, sort of. See, again, we got to remember the context for what Jesus is saying this in. Jesus just talked about it in John chapter 15. He talked about abiding in him, resting in him, allowing our identity to flow out of him. He's saying the key to us having genuine faith, the key to us uh, growing and maturing and looking like him, the key to us experiencing his love and to becoming like him is that we abide in him, that we, we root ourselves in the kingdom of God and we submit ourselves to that. And here's the thing. We cannot abide in the kingdom of God when we are abiding in the world. 
We cannot abide in Him, yet still be motivated and seeking the custom and the ways of this world. We have to choose. This is what Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will choose to abide in Christ. Jesus, speaking about money in Matthew, he says, and I think this applies to this conversation here as well. He says, no one can serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or you will hate the one and love the other. This is the way it works. When we make the decision to abide in Christ, to rest and and identify with Him and to be motivated by His kingdom and allow His kingdom to dictate the decisions that we make, Jesus says soon you're going to face a rejection from the world because you're rejecting the way that they live. You're rejecting the way that the world operates. When you no longer pursue the things that the world wants, when you longer, no longer conform to what the world tells us how to live, that is when you face opposition and rejection. You may even be hated because you are living according to the kingdom of God and not according to the world. In fact, let me just give you some examples. This is what it looks like to be hated because of your faith, because you are abiding in Christ. Here's what it looks like from my life. A couple stories. You may know my story. I grew up Mormon. Grew up in the Mormon church. And I became a Christian in high school. And I remember because I was Mormon, I was afraid to tell anybody that I'd prayed this prayer and was going to try and figure out what it means to be a Christian. So I went home and I just, I was afraid to tell anybody, so I read my Bible. And I read my Bible and I'm trying to figure out, man, what is right? Is this Mormon thing right? Is a Christian thing right? Where am I going to, to stand on? I read my Bible and it came to the point that I decided, man, I've got, to, I've got to take a stand. The Bible is clear. Christ is the answer. The Christian church is a real church. And the moment that I decided to take a stand, to abide in Christ, to abide in the Christian church, that moment, man, when I chose to abide in Christ, some of my best friends that I'd grown up with that were Mormon, those relationships were gone. I had mentors that meant so much to me, that were so impactful in my life. Those relationships were cut off. I faced criticism and difficulty from my own family because I chose to abide in Christ and stand up for my faith. And there was another time just a couple years ago, I was working at Madison House, and there was a young man I was working with who had tremendous potential. Loved this kid, and I was really trying to, to, to impact him for Christ. Remember, it was sad when I began to see him walking down a difficult path, hanging out with the wrong people. Started smoking some things he shouldn't have been smoking. And it came to a head where one day he, he stole some property from the Madison House Youth Center that I worked at. And it came to the point that I said, Miss, I've got to suspend you. You cannot come on campus because of these things. And he got so angry with me. He was so angry that I, I drew this line with him. Regardless of, of, of that decision I made to suspend him, I still loved this kid and I still wanted to impact his life. So about a week later, I knew he had a baseball game. He was playing baseball for Washington Middle School. So I, I went and I got a, a red Gatorade and I, and I brought it to him at the baseball game. I bring it up to him and I give it to him and he just starts cursing me out. Well, what are you doing here? Why, you don't even care about me, blah, blah, blah. He just unloads on me, just rejects me. I'm like, I don't know what I did wrong. I'm trying to love you. A little while later, I heard from his sister that his family was dealing with some financial troubles. 
So I, I gathered some food supplies together. I put a little food box on it and I, and I went to his house and I knocked on his door and I said, hey man, look, I got this for you because I care about you. And it's the same thing, just this cussing me out, this, this verbal just throwing up all over me. It's almost like the more I tried to love him, the more rejection that brought, the more hatred he spilled towards me. But again, I just felt so compelled for this young man. So a couple months later, we're getting ready for summer camp, and I go and I seek him out. I'm like, listen, man, I want you to come to camp with me. I'll even scholarship. You don't have to pay. I'll, I'll pay for you. I want you to be at camp. And I remember one night towards the end of camp, he comes up to me, and he's got tears in my eyes. He said, listen, I pushed you away. I rejected you. I hated you, but you still loved me. If God loves me like that, I want that love. And that night, after all that pushing, after I loved him and, and tried to love him the way Christ loved him, and that night he finally surrendered and said, I want to receive the love that God has for me. So as I loved him, I faced rejection and hatred. And I'm so thankful that God finally broke through to this young man's life. That's not always the case. But the point is, there's times when we are obedient to what God has for us, to his kingdom, to the way that he wants us to live, and we're going to face rejection and opposition. So here's the question I want to ask you, and I want you to be honest in your answer. Where is it in your life that you've allowed the world's influence to dictate how you live? Where are you abiding in the world's standards of living instead of abiding in Christ and his standard of living? Where are you abiding according to the ways of the world and where are you abiding in the kingdom of God? Listen, it's possible for us to be a Christian and still allow our heart to abide and still allow us to desire the world's influence. So where is it, where is it that you are seeking joy and happiness from the world instead of God? Let me just throw a couple of these ideas out for you and just be honest with these. Let me ask you this. How big is money a motivation for you? Do you look at money and think, man, that brings me peace. That brings me comfort. That brings me uh, all these different things. That might just be a hint that you are abiding in wealth and not abiding in Christ. Let me ask you this. How big is people's approval to you? You think about your social media and you need more, you need more likes and followers. You need a, a wide net of friends and maybe you even begin to cater to other people's expectations because you want their acceptance. You want that popularity. That might be a hint for you that you're abiding in other people's opinions and not in Christ. Let me maybe step on some toes here. How much trust do you put in political systems to fix what's gone right in our country and in our world. See, we are living in a time where, where politics and, uh, and alliances and our country and, and president, they seem more important than God and his kingdom. You look at the conversations we're having, we spend more time talking about what politicians need to do and what our country needs to do and less time talking about what we need God to do and what God has for us. See, as, as, as Christians... Our citizenship does not belong to this world. Our citizenship does not belong to this country. This is what, Jesus, this is what we've already said. Our citizenship, yeah, our citizenship belongs in heaven. In Psalms chapter 20, it says, Some people put their hope in chariots and horses, 
Some people put their hope in politics and presidents and kings and countries. But we put our hope in God. Listen, we're, put, we're to put our hope not in the world, not in the world to bring us peace and joy, not in politics and earthly leaders and in our country. We are to put our hope in God and his kingdom. This is why when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he prays and says, your kingdom come. So we're reminded, hey, we pursue his kingdom and not this kingdom. Let me clarify, listen, I do love our country. I love our country. But there's a difference between the kingdoms of this world and God's kingdom. There's a difference between this country and the kingdom of God. Because one of those kingdoms is eternal and one of them is not. One of those kingdoms is a kingdom of light and one of them is a kingdom of darkness. One of those kingdoms will offer eternal life and the other kingdom, the best that it can give me when I breathe my last breath is a fancy tombstone. Are you abiding in politics? Are you abiding in Christ? Listen, let me ask you this. How do you respond to the people around you? I mean, the world standard, the world would say this is how you live. You return you return good for good. You return evil for evil. An eye for an eye. Someone's mean to you, you, you cut them off. You, you, you forget them. Remember the word, but remember what the Word of God says that we return good for evil. We turn the other cheek. We even forgive those that wrong us. Are you living according to the world standard? Are you living according to the kingdom of God? You feeling that challenge at this point of where are we abiding? What about, what about where the world turns to for pleasure versus what the word of God says? Are you, do you just say, you know what? You do what makes you happy. You do you and I'll do me. You do whatever you want, whatever feels right to you. Or do you stand up and say, man, this is what the word of God says and this is where I'm going to abide. Again, we're not to be rejected and hated because we're jerks. There's enough jerks out there. No, Christian, we're to abide in Christ. And as we abide in him, and as we trust in him, and as we obey him, and as we love like him, as we no longer are motivated by the world's standards, listen, we're going to live differently. And because of that, we're going to face some rejection and maybe even hatred. But here's, here's the cool thing. is Jesus knows this is going to be hard. He knows it's going to be hard for us to begin to not live according to the world's customs, but to abide in the kingdom of God and live according to the kingdom of God. So this is what Jesus says in John 15, verse 26. He says, he reminds them, he says, when the helper comes, remember, I'm going to send you this helper and, and I will send him from the father. He's the spirit of truth. He says, he will bear witness about me and you will bear witness about me. Jesus knows this is going to be hard, but Jesus has not left us alone. He has given us the Spirit of God to strengthen us, to encourage us, to help us, to embolden us so we aren't alone, so that we can actually stand up for God. We can stand out for God. We can live according to the kingdom of God and not according to the kingdom of the world. And as we do that, His Spirit is there to lift us up, to strengthen us, to remind us we're not alone. And this is why we have the body of Christ. Whereas we're standing up for the things of God, we've got our brothers and sisters in Christ who are standing with us, encouraging us, standing with us, opposing what's being done in the world. 
Listen, where is it that you need to abide in Christ? Listen, I know for some of us listening today, we come to this point and we might need to repent. We just might need to confess. Say, God, I've, I've been abiding in the wrong spots. And I, I confess, God, that there really hasn't been much difference between the world and me and the way that I've lived. But here's, here's the great thing about God. Is if that's you, if you're saying, man, there's not much difference between how I'm living and how the world says to live. The great thing is, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and experience my grace. Experience my love. You don't have to get everything all figured out. You don't have to get your life cleaned up. If you come to me, acknowledge you're wrong, and you seek my help, listen, I'll help you. I'll forgive you. I'll give you grace. I will strengthen you. In fact, he promises to be our strength. He promises the Holy Spirit. So he'll give us the courage we need to stand strong when we need to stand strong. Listen, if that's you, just today, just say, God, I'm sorry. And I'm coming to you and I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I'm asking for your strength today. For some of us, we need to consider uh, reorienting our priorities. That we've been too much living for the things of the world. We need to reprioritize those things to say, I'm going to live for the kingdom of God. And maybe if that's you, you have to reprioritize. Maybe the best thing for you to, to do today is to reach out to someone and say, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about this. Would you help me in this? Would you hold me accountable? Listen, I've been living for the ways of this world, but I'm convicted of that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live for the kingdom of God. Would you hold me accountable and encourage me and help me to do that? Such a powerful step. This is what the body of Christ does. This is why we are gathering together online today so we can reach out to one another and say, would you help me in this? Listen, maybe for you, maybe you're like, man, I'm feeling that opposition from the world. I'm feeling the opposition from my family, from my friends, because I'm choosing to live differently, to live according to the kingdom of God. Listen, if that's you, I want you to know God sees you. You are not alone. God sees the stand you are making, and God is proud of you, and God is with you. He has not left you alone. The last thing, I think just if we could just remember this, every one of us, it is better for us to be loved by God than liked by the world. I love you guys, and I'm praying that we would abide in Christ and choose to to abide according to the kingdom of God and not according to the customs of the world. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for just this challenge today. I thank you that you've given us this warning. That God, if we choose to abide in you, God, that as we experience your blessings, that God, sometimes there's some difficult things that come in that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have courage today. That God, we would choose to abide in you, to abide in the kingdom of God. God, for those of us that we look at our lives and we're saying, man, there's not much difference between the world with the way the world lives and the way I live. God, I pray that you would convict them today, that they'd have the courage just to confess that to you. Say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for that. God, I want to live according to your kingdom. I want to live according to the way that your word instructs us to live. God, I want to love the way that you loved. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in that and give us the, the strength to confess that to you. God, I pray that you would comfort those of us that feel alone, who are facing this difficult times, that, God, we'd be reminded that you are with us, that we are not alone. 
God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are with us in every step of the process. Pray, Lord, that you would just minister to us today the way that you, the way that we need. God, we love you and we praise you. And I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.